we have the kindness already on it. Is it on? Okay. All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's uh, exciting to be with you. Uh, I did not realize it was the particular particularization service that I was a part of with you. I thought it was first anniversary. Uh, boy, that's been a long time ago. I've been asking uh, Pastor Alex if I could come back and preach, and he told me I wasn't ready yet. <laughs> and so uh, during your second anniversary, I asked him if I could come and preach. He said, you're still not ready yet. Well, last year I asked him if I could come and preach. He said, you're not ready yet. And then I told him, I said, well, I'll come for free. He said, now you're ready. <laughs> now you're ready. And so a lot has happened uh, since uh, the last I've been with you. Uh, one of the things is it looks so different up here. And, uh, Pastor, we, we're going to raise up an offering down in Birmingham to buy you a pulpit. Uh, <laughs> But it's all good. It's all good. Nothing but love for you. But uh, there has been a lot. Uh, My father-in-law went home to be with Jesus uh, about two and a half years ago. And every single night, mom lives, my mother-in-law lives by herself. But every single night, either my wife, my sister-in-law, or myself spend the night with her. Uh, Tonight is my mother-in-law night, so I'll, I'll eat and fellowship with you for a while. But I need to get back to mama. Uh, she is 86 years old and is battling dementia. And so uh, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Alex, I was there, and, and, and she keeps, I don't know if you all are like this, but she keeps the TV on the same channel all day, every day. She watches ABC down in, in Birmingham. It's ABC. And so I think this show came on Biggest Loser. And so she's got dementia, but sometimes it's like one of those TV sets that, that comes in clear and sometimes and other times it's fuzzy. Well, I think she had a moment of clarity, but she decided to get me. She said, uh, I came in, it was about 8 or 9 o'clock, and she, she says, well, I said, what you watching, Mom? She says, I'm not real sure. It's, it's something where those real big people decide to lose weight and they compete. I said, oh, biggest loser. She said, yeah, they're losing weight. Does that ever inspire you? I looked at her and I said, uh, Mom, there's going to be one less person in the rotation if you keep, keep this up. But things have changed. And I want to commend you on your fourth anniversary. Uh, we planted our church 20 years ago. Easter Sunday makes of 2016 will make 20 years of us having Sunday services. And uh, I, you all are so gracious. I didn't say it for an applause. But I am well aware that churches don't make it. I remember meeting with Dr. Frank Barker and a a group of church planters in his office once a month. There were six of us, and by year five, Pastor Alex, only two of our churches survived. Uh, You need to be commended. And you need to see this as a time of, of celebration Because each and every year that your church is in existence, it's an opportunity for this community, for friends, family members, co-workers, to get to know Jesus Christ, and you can bring them to the place where you worship. They can become a part of your faith family. 
they can be established, rooted, and grounded in the Word of God. And make no mistake, we live in a day and age where people need Jesus more than ever before. The events of this week dictate that. The events of our lives dictate that. I'll never forget a preacher was asked once on an airplane by an agnostic. He was sitting next to you. And the agnostic said, oh, you're a preacher. What in the world do you have to tell people? What do you preach on? And the preacher, without missing a beat, said, I preach on sin, sorrow, and death. And each and every one of us will have to face that. In our 20-year existence, from the first 15 years, we only had one death in our congregation. In the last five years, we've had five. One of which was three weeks ago. One of our very committed members, a dear friend of my wife, and, and she and her husband uh, have been real dear friends. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's the associate, one of our associate minister's wives. She was complaining of chest pains and went to the doctor. They said she had a little fluid there, they, they, they released her at home. The Sunday, uh, about three Sundays ago, I preached on Mark chapter 5 where uh, Jairus goes in uh, and wants his daughter healed. And, and they discover that his daughter had died. And, and Jesus said, no, she's only sleeping. And there's a passage there in Mark chapter 5 where it says that Jesus put out everyone. And the only people that were remained were Jesus the little girl's parents, uh, and his disciples. Well, my charismatic Pentecostal Word of Faith friends teach that Jesus put out everyone that didn't believe. Uh, I, I, I believe there might be some truth to that, but there's a deeper meaning. And that meaning is that when that little girl woke up, the first face that she saw was the face of Jesus. The next face that she saw were her parents. And the third faces that she saw were the church. And men and women, it is descriptive of what happens to us when we enter into the gates. The first get, uh, a face that we'll see is the face of Jesus. We will see loved ones who knew Jesus and walked with him and trusted him and will be surrounded by the church. That was the last message that Cheryl Cook heard. That next morning, about 6 o'clock, I got a phone call from from, uh, we call him Reverend Ron, Ron Cook. He says, Pastor, you've got to get over. She's gone. She's gone. And so my wife and I made it over, uh, just had enough time to wash some, splash some water on our face, and we got over, and, and she died in this position like this. Just the sweetest thing, but he is, he is devastated. A wife of 15 years, children, grandchildren, a couple of great-grandchildren. And so, more than ever before, church, we've got to preach the gospel. And it is a gospel that is Jesus Christ-focused. It is not a gospel that is a me gospel. It is not a works gospel. It is not a, a, a behavior modification gospel. It is not a, you go do this and you'll be right with God. It is the grace of God. But that grace is accompanied with the very presence of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And for the next few minutes, I'd like to challenge you. I'd like to challenge you as a church and challenge you as an individual to think of, of, of lynch points, or to think of milestones in your Christian life and in the life of this church where you have seen God do something 
miraculous. Where you have seen Him, it, it, it serves like a sign to help you know you're going in the right direction. And I know we're Presbyterian and we don't talk a lot about miracles, signs, and wonders, but we will today. I know many of our, my brothers and, and, and a lot of my sisters are cessationists, but you're not talking to one. I believe that God still does miracles. I do. Um, I think I lost half of them, Alex. I'm sorry. But, uh, but if you have your Bible, turn quickly to John chapter 20, and we'll look at verses 30 and 31. And the title of the message is simply, That They Might Believe. That They Might Believe. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And the Scripture reads that, Truly, Jesus did many other miracles or signs in the presence of His disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you might have life in His name. Now, the Scripture reads that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples that aren't in this book. If you were to do a study, Jesus performed about 35, 36 miracles that are recorded by the four gospel writers. Mark has the most percentage of all of the the miracles that are recorded. He records about 18 of the 35. If you'll look in the text, it says, And Jesus performed many other miracles in the presence of His disciples that are not written in this book. And then the beginning of verse 31, it says, But these. These were written. Well, the question becomes up, what are these? John records seven miracles or seven signs in the book. Open up your Bibles quickly. It's going to be a little bit like Bible study for the next three minutes. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 2 and you'll find the first sign. In John chapter 2, Jesus performs a miracle at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the scripture reads that it is the first miracle that he performs and his disciples believed in him. Quickly turn the pages to John chapter 4. Look at the last part of the entire chapter. It should start around verse 46 or so. And Jesus has an official that comes to him and says that his son is sick. He says, Jesus, I want you to come. Jesus says, I don't need to come. Your son is well. He heals the official's son, and the official goes back, and, 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 and his servants say he's been healed, um, and, and he discovers at the very hour that Jesus said he was healed, he was healed. And the Scripture records that this man's family and his whole household believed in Jesus. That's two. Look at chapter 5, the beginning. There is a lame man at the pool of Bethesda. And at the pool, what uh, the... They thought was whenever the water at the pool was stirred, there was an angel there and and the the people would be healed. And so Jesus approaches this lame man and he says, what do you want? Jesus asks, what do you want? Do you want to be healed? And the lame man says, of course I want to be healed, but every time the water is stirred, somebody beats me to it and nobody's able to take me. Well, for years I thought that this man was just lazy. Until I talked to one of my uh, uh, daughters uh, at church, uh, she is a physical therapist and teaches physical therapy at Alabama State University in Montgomery, and we were talking about spinal cord injuries because one of our members uh, had an accident on a motorcycle 
and injured his spinal cord. She told me this. She says, Pastor, there are two different types of spinal injuries. There is spinal damage, and then there is a severed spine. Spinal damages can sometimes heal and come back. Just pray for them and make sure that they get the right medical attention. She said, but a spinal cord being severed is like our old-fashioned phones that have a cord to the receiver, and you take some scissors and cut it. She said, when your spinal cord is severed, it'll take a miracle. It made me look at this miracle totally different. He's lame probably because he cannot walk, and there's nothing that he can do to rehabilitate himself. And so when Jesus says, rise, take up your pallet and walk, it's a miracle. So we've got this, this, this turning water into wine at the wedding feast at Cana of Galilee. We've got the healing of the official son in chapter 4. We've got the, the healing of the lame man in chapter 5. In chapter 6, look at the passage. In the very beginning of chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people with just a, a few fish and loaves. And then in the middle of the chapter, he walks on water. And so there's this feeding of the 5,000, there's this walking on water, which sets him up to talk about him being the bread of life. Well, if you go a little bit further in John chapter 9, there's a man who is blind from birth. And, and, and the, his disciples asked Jesus, well, who sinned? Jesus said, had nothing to do with sin. The man gives his testimony in front of the Pharisees, and we discover toward the end of the chapter that although he was healed, he didn't believe in Jesus. And so Jesus asks him, do you believe in the Messiah? And he says, well, I don't even know who he is. And Jesus says, you're looking at him. He says, do you believe? He says, I believe, and then he falls down to worship. The next and and last miracle is in John chapter 11 where Lazarus dies. He's been dead for four days and Jesus raises him from the dead. And at the end of the narrative, it says many of the Jews believed in him. Many women, what, what John does is he takes these. When he says these signs are written, he takes these and he says these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you might have life in His name. But He specifically chooses seven so that individuals who would read about Jesus and read about His activity would know that He is more powerful than nature. That, that, that He does things that are outside the norm. That He has all power and all authority in His hands. These were written. I don't know about you, but I have a couple of, of, of signs. I remember years ago before we started our church, I had done just about everything in ministry that you could do. I worked with a missions agency, and I'd done everything that you could possibly do in ministry, Alex, except for go to prisons. Well, there was a flyer that came into the mail about this Bill Glass ministry that would go around to to maximum security prisons and do ministry. They would, they would, they would uh, call in some high-profile uh, celebrities that would come and share their testimony, and all of the volunteers would divide up and share the gospel with the inmates. Well, wouldn't you know it, one of the guys I was trying to disciple saw the flyer and said, Hey, Rev, we ought to go to the prisons. 
Now, when you're a pastor and supposed to have spiritual authority, you don't tell people you're afraid. And men and women, I don't know about you, but I don't think they should let them lift weights in those prisons. But I didn't let on that I was afraid. And so I said, yeah, we can go. Well, the way they had things set up was you'd go on a Friday, you'd go all day on a Saturday, and you'd go half a day on a Sunday. The Thursday night before, you'd meet for training in, a, in either a large church or we had this particular training in a hotel banquet room. It was a number of us. It was a good number, about 100 of us. And so we went to the training, and, and the next morning we're on the bus ready to go to Donaldson Prison in West Jefferson County. And so we're on the way, and, and, and as we get closer to the prison, the more fear accompanies me. Well, we get to the prison, and they, they had this flatbed truck out on the yard that they used as a stage, and so they had a celebrity come and share their testimony, and they told us after the testimony, you can go anywhere in the prison you want to go. Now, then, I think it's a little bit larger now, but they had four cell blocks with 300 inmates in each cell block, 1,200 inmates total. And they said afterwards, you can go anywhere. The warden has said you can go anywhere, share the gospel preach the good news to people. And I did what most Christians do. I stayed in a holy huddle. Right in the middle of the yard, we were, I was counseling, you know. I was one of the few pastors who was there. And so I didn't let on. I was afraid. And so we get in the bus to go back later on that evening. And the Lord started working with me. And the Spirit just spoke to my heart and said, you know, that I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound mind. I didn't send you there to stay in a holy huddle. I sent you there to take the good news. And so I got back home, and I remember praying a couple of things. I said, Lord, tomorrow when we go, I want you to give me courage. Tomorrow when we go, I want you to guide my footsteps. And tomorrow when we go, I want you to give me a divine appointment. And so we get back, and same routine, flatbed truck, big program, celebrity speaks. But this time, I didn't stay in the holy huddle. Remember, there are four cell blocks, 300 inmates in each cell block, 1,200 inmates total. And so I just kind of wandered. It was Saturday where we were going to be there all day. And I get to this cell block, and, and, and they're watching the Alabama football game on TV. And I like football, so I just sat with them to watch the football game. I didn't realize till until about 15, 20 minutes in, I was the only volunteer surrounded by about 50 inmates. And the Lord, Lord answered my prayer. He gave me courage. I was just fine. Then <clears throat> there's this big tall fellow with a patch over his eye and says, Hey, preach. Want to talk? I said, Sure. So we moved away from the crowd. And, and, and so we talked for a while. And all of a sudden, the, the conversation got small we couldn't think of what to talk about but during the training on thursday night they said if if, if you can't think of what to talk about ask a couple of questions like what's the most important thing in your life well i asked him what's the most important thing in your life he said preach you wait you stay right there he goes over to his cell and brings back a little school picture of a little girl and he hands it to me and says this is she's the most important thing in my life and i took one look at the picture and i said no she can't be He kind of bristled a little bit. I said, you don't know what I mean. He said, what? I said, her name is, and we both said Shannon at the same time. He said, well, how do you know my Shannon? I said, sir, I'm not supposed to tell you this, 
but she lives with the, and we said Mr. and Mrs. Chambers at the same time. And he said, well, how do you know them? I said, they live next door to me. I prayed, Lord, give me courage. I prayed, Lord, guide my footsteps. And I said, I, said, I prayed, Lord, give me a divine appointment. Four cell blocks, 300 inmates in each one, 1,200. In, I wouldn't have been able to find Shannon's daddy if somebody told me to look for him. And I was able to share the gospel with him. We get to the end of the gospel where I give him a, a challenge to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. And he said, preach, I'm not ready yet. I get back in the bus on the way back to Birmingham and I'm both excited and also a little frustrated with God. I'm excited about what He has just done, but I'm also frustrated because I thought, Lord, you, 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 you gave me courage. You guided my steps. You gave me a divine appointment. I get to the end, and He doesn't receive Jesus Christ as His Savior and Lord. And it was like the Spirit was screaming to me, saying, it wasn't for Him. It was for you. Because I want you to know I'm sufficient for a, a, a fearful missionary. I'm sufficient for someone who doesn't have courage. I'm sufficient for someone who needs their steps guided. I'm sufficient for someone who needs a divine appointment. And I will guide your steps. And many other signs that Jesus performed that aren't written in this book. But these were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that in believing you might have life in His name. Church, what testimonies do you have of God doing something awesome these four years in the life of this church or your life individually? There are many others that I could share, but that one stands out because it was just for me. It was just for me. Look down at the text. Point number one was simply these signs. Point number two, the Scripture reads, and many other signs that Jesus performed that are not written in this book, but these were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Men and women, those signs are not signs just for signs' sake. Now, there are three words in the New Testament that are used when God does something uh, awesome or like that. Miracles, signs, and wonders. John does not use the word miracle here. He does not say in many other miracles does Jesus perform. No, no. He says many other signs. He doesn't say many other wonders. He says many other signs. A sign does not point to itself. A sign points you to something else. Now, you'll have to take this by faith because I've been running with my daughter. Uh, I coach uh, girls basketball. But, but I was about 20, 20, 20, 25 pounds heavier. Well, I like to eat chicken. If we were going down Oakwood Avenue here, and I don't know Oakwood well enough to know, but let's just say there's a church's chicken. And from a distance, you see the sign. You don't drive into the parking lot and climb the sign. Mm -mm. No, the sign tells you that there's some chicken nearby. That's what it says. That's what it says. 
Well, many people get caught up in miracles. Many people get caught up in wonders. Many people... No, God does not want you to climb the miracle. God wants the miracle to point you to Jesus. And many other signs did Jesus perform that aren't written in this book, but these were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And men and women, that's the sign. That is the purpose. There is always a message behind the miracle, and it's pointing you to Jesus. It's pointing you to Jesus. Now, listen, I don't know if you're taking notes or not. I don't know if you have your Bible because everybody's smiling faces looking at me. But if you had your Bible, I'd like to share with you for the next three minutes what caused me to believe in Jesus. I come from the West Coast, very liberal. My motto when I was 18, 19, 20 years old was, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Folks on the West Coast, liberal folks, don't hate Christians. They just think that Christianity is on a level plane with everything else. That's what they believe, and that's what I believe. My first semester of college, a student challenged me on my relationship with Jesus Christ, and I said, whoa, 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 you believe in Jesus, that's fine. I believe in Jesus, that's fine, but you can't tell anybody else they're wrong. Well, he started walking me through the Scriptures, and he started walking me through the Gospel of John where Jesus made claims that he was God become man, where those around him understood that he was making claims to, 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 be, to be God. And so this student showed me John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten Father. He shared with me John chapter 1, verse 18, No man has seen God at any time, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but the, 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 the only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him to us. So if you want to see what God looks like, you look at Jesus. He shared with me John chapter 5, verse 18, where the Jews took up stones uh, to kill Him. And He says, well, for, why are you killing me? He says, no, because He's breaking the Sabbath and calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. He shared with me John chapter 10, verse 30, which says, I and the Father are one. My good uh, uh, Jehovah's Witness brothers and sisters will say, well, that means he's just unified, he's just in oneness with him, he's just on the same plane, going in the same direction. But if you were to read 31 through 33, it would say, uh, they took up stones to stone him, and Jesus said, for what good work do you stone me? And the Jews said, for a good work we stone you not, but you being man, make yourself out to be God. They understood it. In John chapter 12, John goes on and he starts talking about the signs that Isaiah performed. And then he goes in about verse 37 through about verse 39 and says, These signs are when Isaiah saw him. He's referring him to Jesus that Isaiah saw him. Well, when did Isaiah see God? In Isaiah chapter 6, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He's saying that when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, that he was looking at Jesus. John chapter 14, his disciples say, uh, uh, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said, have I been this long with you and yet you don't know me? When you've seen me, you've seen the Father as well. And in context, of this passage in John chapter 20, right before it, Thomas has to feel it touch his hands, the holes in his hands, and the pierced side 
And Thomas falls down and says, My Lord and my God. Jesus doesn't say, Oh, no, 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 don't say that. Jesus accepts that worship. Many women, many other signs that Jesus performed that aren't in the presence of His disciples that aren't written in this book. But these were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of God. There is no other. Either He's telling the truth or He's telling a lie. As a college student, when I was confronted with the Word of God, my grandmother had prayed for me so much. She had sent me to church. I had enough experience to know that I could never ever call Jesus a lie. He must be the Lord. And the Spirit start, started working in my life, revealing the sin and the, the, the selfishness and the independence in my life and started drawing me to Jesus, the one and true and living God. Men and women, that's what God does. You see, the gospel hadn't failed. It just really hadn't been tried. This community needs to hear the gospel, whether they come to this church or not. We ought to have a parish mentality that everybody in a, I don't know what mile radius you want to say, three, five mile radius, is a part of our parish. And we're sharing the gospel with them where they're here on Sunday mornings at 1030 or not. Because that's the gospel. That people need Jesus Christ. He is the one and true and living God. He's not telling a lie. He's sharing with us. He's offering with us. The goodness of God based on His sacrifice on the cross. Look at the text. And many other signs did Jesus do in the presence of His disciples that are not written in this book, but these were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, it could be that you'd stop right there. It could be that you would say, well, yeah, I understand the signs, point number one. I understand that that these signs point us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then you would think that these signs are only for unbelievers. Men and women, I want to say this and I want to be real clear. The gospel is not just for the unbeliever. The gospel is for the believer as well. The gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. The gospel is the Christian life. I'm always confronted with my sin. I'm always confronted with the sufficiency of Christ and His death on the cross. And I'm always confronted with the fact that day by day, moment by moment, I've got to have that gospel applied. Men and women, if we don't, it's not the gospel. Because it can can draw you toward a works mentality that you've got to maintain your own salvation. No. No. It is the last phrase that these signs not only lead us to believe that He's the Christ, the Son of the living God, but notice the last phrase in verse 31. And that in believing, you might have life in His name. There's seven signs in the Gospel of John, but there are also seven I Am statements. John chapter 6, He says, I'm the bread of life. John chapter 8, he says, I'm the light of the world. John chapter 10, he says, I'm the door for the sheep. John chapter 10 as well, he says, I'm the good shepherd. John chapter 11, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And then in John chapter 15, he says, I'm the true vine. 
Men and women, do you know what Jesus is saying here? If you don't, then you need to turn to John chapter 8 and look at about verse 53, 54, 55. You, you, you can find it. But he has this discussion with the Jews about Abraham. And Jesus mentions Abraham when Abraham saw him. And the Jews say, you're not yet 50 years old. How can you say that Abraham saw you? And Jesus says this, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is equating himself with the I am that Moses saw. He's equating himself with Yahweh, Jehovah God. Before Abraham was, I am. Well, what does that have to do with having life in his name? Pastor Alex, this this doesn't happen to you, but it happened to me. We might have been four or five years in. I can't remember. Well, I do remember. We were four years in because it happened when my youngest daughter, who is now 16, we had just had the baby. I can't go into detail now. You, you, You invite me back, I'll tell you the story. But my dad was... Let's just say he was hooked on everything but phonics. Some of you all will get that. Dad had just had a stroke because he had had a bad experience with some stuff. And my brother was estranged from Daddy. He lives in California as well, and so I was the only one to go back home. And so we had just started the church. We're only four years old, four years in. And, and you and Waikita never have this problem, but my wife and I could agree on one thing. Well, two things, really. I didn't like her and she didn't like me. We had had financial problems. We uh, had just had this baby and, you know, we, we, we just didn't have any money. I had three other daughters. It's the fourth child. Daddy was going through his trip and he was up in uh, San Francisco's VA hospital. I remember flying back to uh, to California, meeting up my brother in L.A., and we picked up uh, my aunt in uh, Button Willow, California, and we drove up I-5, and we get to San Francisco, and my aunt says, you boys go up and see about your daddy. You know, me and your daddy are on outs, and I don't know if he wants to see me. And so I said, Aunt Viv, you stay down here. I'll, 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 I'll go see. And so we went to go see, and daddy was, was excited to see us, and, and I said, Daddy, Aunt Vivian's downstairs. He said, what's she doing down there? You bring her up, and we had the sweetest reconciliation. But we still had to figure out what we were going to do with Daddy. And so we worked some things out. I stayed there for about a week and uh, was there with my brother, and we got Daddy situated. Well, when I flew back into the Birmingham airport, uh, there were some other people there to pick me up, not my wife. And I said, where's, where's Kim? And they said, don't worry. you got a whole lot on you. Uh, she's over at Children's Hospital. I said, what's she doing at Children's Hospital? said, Tiara got sick. I said, Tiara got sick. How come you didn't call me? We didn't want to worry you. How many days has she been there? Well, she's been there a day and a half. But the doctors, they don't know what's wrong. They poked that baby everywhere they could poke that baby. Said they had a fe- she had a fever off the church, but they couldn't find where the fever was. A newborn baby can't tell you what's hurting. I wasn't ashamed to get on my knees down in that hospital calling everybody I knew who could get a prayer through. And I said, honey, I know we've had some problems, but we got we got to be unified here. And so we were. We, we prayed together for a whole day. We stayed. I said, don't take me home. You, know, you take me to Children's Hospital. And so 
we were there, and, and I stayed in the hospital with there. And, 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 and Tiara had, on the third day, hmm, I just thought about that. On the third day, the doctor came in and said, well, we, we, we found out what it is. She's got a urinary tract infection, and that's what's calling us, causing the fever. And so we had prayed, we had sought God, and uh, my, my friend, preacher friend, not, not Alex, but he's a preacher friend, he calls me and says, oh, isn't that something? You went through all that, and all she needed was some cranberry juice. <laughs> but I'll tell you what I prayed. Prayed, Lord, give me more strength. Give me more peace. Give me more, give me more love for my wife. Lord, give, give me more money from my bank account so I can pay some of these bills. Give me, you know, I mean, everything I was like, Lord, give me. And it was almost as clear as day, the Lord said, no, I'm not going to give you more peace. I'm not going to give you more strength. I'm not going to give you more love. I am. I am your love. I am your peace. I am your sufficiency. I am your provision. I am your power. I am. I am. And, 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 and many other signs did Jesus perform in the presence of his disciples that aren't written in this book, but these were written that you might believe that Jesus is the, is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing, you might have life in his name. Men and women, stop asking. Let him be. He is your sufficiency. In this church, He's your sufficiency. In this church, he, 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 He's your power. In this church, He is your reconciliation. In this church, He is your fellowship. In this church, He is the one. And He says, come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I am that rest. I am your Sabbath day's rest. And men and women, it makes all the difference in the world both in your life and in the life of this church. Where you say, Lord, give me a sign. Some of you who know your Bibles are thinking now as I get ready to close, you're thinking, well, in Matthew, the Lord says only a a wicked and perverse generation looks for a sign. The only sign that's going to be given is the sign of Jonah. And just as Jonah was in the belly of, of the fish, three days and three nights. So the Son of Man will have to be in the earth three days and three nights. This is the only sign. Well, of course His resurrection is our sign. Of course, Him rising from the dead is is our sign. Of course, Him being alive is our sign. Make no mistake. Some of us, the only Jesus that people will see, is Him being alive in us. For some of us, the only hands and feet and only evidence that Jesus is alive is that He is alive in us. And that we are living out and believing constantly in the Gospel day by day by day. The theologian put it this way, I preach the Gospel to myself every day because every day I forget it. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, And I believe, so I have life in His name. There is no other name but Jesus. Let's pray.
Father God, we bless Your name today. We thank You today. I pray for this church that they would recognize Your voice, that they would recognize and see Your face, and that they would feel and experience Your heart. Father, there could be someone here today who needs a sign that points them to Jesus. Father, I pray that they would have that divine appointment that they would see You working in their lives. Father, I pray for the pastor and the elders of this church. Lord, allow them not to grow weary in well-doing. Brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. I pray for members, Lord, that they would be excited about their...